Welcome to Thrive Beyond Pornography, the podcast where real couples like us candidly navigate the journey to a healthier, more connected life. Join us as we share personal experiences, expert insights, and practical tips to help you thrive in your relationships and break free. Together, let's repair and build a rock-solid connection, becoming a couple that can overcome any challenge. I'm Zach. And I'm Darcy. We're an LDS couple who struggled with unwanted pornography in our marriage for many years. What was once our greatest struggle and something we thought would destroy us has become our greatest blessing and triumph. Our hope is that as you listen to our podcast each week, you'll be filled with hope and healing and realize that you too can thrive beyond pornography and create the marriage you have always desired. Welcome to Thrive Beyond Pornography. We're so glad you're here and we believe in you. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Thrive Beyond Pornography. I'm your host, Zach Spafford. This week, I wanted to share with you an episode that we did about a year ago, just over a year ago now, with an interview with my friend, Andrea Marks. And I wanted to offer this to you at this time of the year because I wanted you to have hope. I wanted you to see what it's like for someone who has actually succeeded at overcoming pornography in their life. And the reason I wanted to offer this to you right now today is... I want you to have seen something that someone is actually doing that is that is actually making it happen. You know, so many of us we we see these programs and we hope that they're helpful, but I want you to see it in action. I want you to see someone who's doing this because those of you who are here because you want to have a thriving marriage, you want to create the relationship and the life that you and your spouse actually want to live together. This is one of the most important components, is this actual solving of the pornography problem. That's not to say that it's the only component, but it is a really important one. And right now, this time of year, this is a great time of year to have hope. It's a great time of year to uh, you know, feel the, the love of each other and to create just one step towards resolving your pornography struggle. So if you are listening to this and you're like, okay, I can hear this woman has success. I can see that this is possible. Go set up a consult. Go to zackspafford.com slash work with me and set up a consult for you and your wife, you and your husband, whoever it is, to sit down and meet with me and we can plan the possibility that no longer will you ever struggle with pornography ever again. We're looking at the new year coming up. Wouldn't this be the, the greatest present you could give yourself and your spouse is a new relationship, one where no longer are you struggling with pornography, no longer are you struggling with feeling betrayed, but you are thriving beyond pornography. All right, my friends, here's that interview. I love you guys, and I will talk to you next week. I have a special guest with me today. Her name is Andy Marks. She's been a client of mine now for the past about a year, right? We've been working yeah. together for almost a year. Um, we share some common common things in, in in our lives, right? We both lived in Germany. I was a kid. You were deployed. Well, sort of deployed, right? Like yeah. on assignment. Um, and you were at Ramstein, right? I was in Stuttgart. Stuttgart. Okay. So yeah. not too far. But uh, we also both struggle with pornography and masturbation. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you? I've asked you here because I think this conversation will help so many people, especially women. Tell us about you. For sure. Um, well, I you know grew up as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And went on a mission and, you know, was in the military. I've been in the military for like 11 years now. And I didn't, um, you know, start uh, struggling with pornography until a few years ago. And I felt like it was even worse because, you know, I should know better. I'm a return missionary, all this stuff. And I'd always like call myself a demon, you know, like when people would compliment me and stuff, I'd be like, no, if you only knew me, I'm a terrible person, you know? And I, I began to just really hate myself. And so, Um, I like, that was like my secret that I could never really, um, you know, come out about. And, and so I, you know, tried all these different ways to kind of let go of of, uh, my pornography habit and just couldn't, couldn't figure anything out. So, um, every time I just like my, my self-loathing just increased. And so, um, but the first time I really, you know, started to, to make improvement was like when I opened up to somebody and started working with Zach. And so, I'm really grateful to be here. I feel like I'm grateful for who I am now and I've learned a lot. And so anybody who wants to talk about it, I'm like grateful to talk about it. 
Yeah. So I think a lot of people, especially people who haven't shared this story with, uh, with anyone, um, they struggle telling people around them that they have a pornography habit. And, um, so as you have been vulnerable, what has your experience been um, in particular when it comes to church leaders? Um, so the last, so I, I've struggled with pornography habit for the last three years. And, um, the first person that I ever opened up to friends or anything included was actually the Relief Society president in the ward I was in, in Germany. And so I think it was helpful for me to be, you know, in a situation removed from my normal social circles. (laughs) So I got kind of lucky there. Um, but I, the Relief Society president was, you know, just give me a ride home one day. And, and she was like, Hey, if you ever need to talk about anything, um, feel free to reach out. And I was like, well, is now a good time? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to take you up on that. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, perfect. Pull the car over. (laughs) So um, when I opened up to her, I was like, you know, just everyone, I have that fear of like being judged or people like um, exiling you and stuff. And I had opened up, no, I had, you know, talked to bishops before that. And the bishop, you know, of course, is very helpful. They, they obviously care about you. They, and I, I just felt very, um, what's the word? I felt like it would be how if the savior was sitting across from me, you know, I felt like they wanted to help me, but they, I don't feel like bishops necessarily have the resources to help you. I think what I, a big thing that I've learned is that the role of a bishop isn't to fix your problem for you. The role of the bishop is to help you in the repentance process and give you spiritual guidance. But it is our role to go then and take action and, and um, use our agency to to make the changes. And so you can't do that on your own. So you do need, you know, whether it is a family member or or uh, a life coach or something that works for you. But um, I feel like you, you know, you can't rely on the bishop to fix your problems for you. And, and that's not their job. So. I feel like lucky I had great bishops, um, along the way. And then, yeah. So that's awesome. That, I, and I think that story about, um, you know, talking to the relief society president and just saying, Hey, this is what's going on for me. And, totally. and have you told anybody else? Yeah, actually. So I, after I had kind of been working on it, oh, because like the first year I just, I didn't, I thought I could just quit on my own. And so, I would like Google things on, you know, incognito mode to try to figure out, you know, like how to get out of it and how to quit and stuff. And it wasn't working. And I just kept falling. That could be a dangerous path, right? You're like, what do I, what do I Google here? You tab something else. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, no. So then after that, I I realized, you know, I need help with this. And so I was talking with the bishop and then that wasn't doing, I thought, you know, why isn't this fixing it? And then I started, I talked to the real estate president and then I started talking to you because I think you and I have a mutual friend. Yeah. Who what a, what a, a, few, a fellow coach, somebody that I love hanging out with Diana. Yes. She, she, so I had worked with her and I thought working with Diana, the, uh, another life coach that I could indiscreetly, you know, talk about a habit I had and, or maybe talk about food or something else and get help for it. And it just wasn't working. Um, I think I needed to really be very specific about what was going on with me. And so I, she had mentioned you. And so I was like, okay, fine. I'll Google him, you know? <laughs> and, um, look, I was like impressed with your stuff. So I reached out to you. And then I, after I worked with you for a little bit, I kind of opened up to some of my friends and it was interesting because as I've opened up to my friends about it, I no no one's unfriended me, you know, like, <laughs> wait, what? They're not like, oh, you're a terrible human. Go away. They're like delete me on all social media. You're blocked. <laughs> No, but they block um, your phone number. <laughs> a lot of other people have actually opened up to me about their struggles and how they have gone through things. And it's interesting because they had to suffer alone, you know, and I just feel grateful that while I, I can sit here and say, you know, I, I'm a t- return missionary. I should know better. I I've been through the temple. I'm a member of the church my whole life. I sure, but everyone's going to struggle. And this is a natural like things have to go through where you, you figure this out about yourself. And so I'm grateful that I have the support system that I do in place now um, and the resources that I do to, to be able to learn about myself, about God, about interacting with the world. And I just feel like it's been a huge, a big process of repentance. So, yeah. And I think those shoulds are the things that probably hold us back more often than anything. Uh, the idea that I should be this, or I should be that I, you know, it, that to me is just this abdication of what's my agency. Do I do this or do I not do this? Is this what I want to do? Or is this not what I want to do? Is this who I want to be? Is this not who I want to be rather than the the should, which is always like, well, I should be better. I should, you know, and, and that's, there's not a real concrete place for should, right? We should right. all be as good as the prophet. Well, how do you even get there? You start by going through 
processes, you know, like learning how to deal with your emotions, the emotional struggles that you have. So one of the things that you mentioned was this idea that you, um, you started in a place and you moved to another place in your, in your process of becoming a better person. And then mm-hmm. that particular, that, that movement wasn't just overnight, but it was important to you. So why don't you talk about that? Right. So I think the biggest, the first thing I realized whenever I was working on, uh, like quitting looking at pornography was realizing like how much I hated myself and I, you can't make progress if you hate yourself, you know? And I think whenever you are, well, whenever I was struggling with pornography, it was, um, I, I had to make a change for myself. It couldn't be because, because I'm a member of the church or because of any role that I had in my life, you know, and I'm, I'm a single girl and I like, I can't like sit here and be like, oh, well, I, you know, the reason I'm not married is because I'm struggling with pornography. Like, no, I think um, it's interesting because I think, you know, we can easily put blame in different places. But um, once I really began to look at myself with compassion and be kind to myself, I was able to make progress. And I wasn't able to until because it's interesting. I think a big thing is like when you sit in any church meeting or general conference, they're going to say, you know, pornography is an evil sin. You know, it's, it's something that's terrible. It destroys families. And um, everybody who has ever struggled with pornography knows that it is evil. It's not something that's good for us. It doesn't help us, you know, and um, it's, it's, there are definitely like consequences and repercussions from any habit, but I think it's easy in those moments to also say, because it's such a terrible thing, I suck, you know, and because it's such this huge, horrible, great sin that I'm engaging in that there's no way for me to change. And I think it's interesting because elder or president Oaks, you know, gave this talk probably 10, 15 years ago where he was very firm and very like forward about the consequences of pornography. And then probably like, um, five years ago, gave another talk and addressed kind of his, his first talk and was also had this completely different approach to it. And I thought it was incredible because, you know, he talks about um, like all the steps that you can take to, and it's, it's interesting because it's a lot of stuff that you teach. So um, it's, it's uh, I think there's different steps along the way that we can uh, kind of heal for ourselves. But I think one of the first steps is absolutely learning about yourself, because as you're showing up with compassion for yourself, you're able to say, okay, this is what I'm realizing I'm actually experiencing in that moment. I'm actually really lonely right now. And why am I feeling lonely? And you can discover all these things about yourself. And kind of like I said earlier, um, like you learned about yourself, the world and God and in preach my gospel, it says repentance includes forming a fresh view of God, yourself and the world. And I think this is a process of repentance. Like you're in the middle of it. It's not, it's a process. It's not a one-time thing. It's not go to the bishop, check, you're done. It's go to the bishop, work with somebody, relapse or fall back into it or, you know, fail and then use that as a moment of growth. Yeah. And I think, you know, a couple of things that you said there, I, I, I haven't, I'm not as familiar with that talk from Elder Oaks as I probably could be, but you know, the, the things that I teach people, they're all grounded in the, in the gospel, but they're practical ways to execute on that, which I think is really important. And one of the things that you mentioned um, is kind of how people talk about how pornography is going to destroy your life. And I like to say, pornography made me the person that I am today. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really different perspective from the idea that, you know, if I ever look at porn one time, I'm going to like destroy the entirety of my existence, right? Yeah. Which is which is not really the way that it works. And, you know, in what you sent me, you talked about the struggles that you had and how you became a better version of you because of those struggles. Mm-hmm. And I think we often, you know, I, I talk about the hero story often where people think, well, the hero story starts with, you know, fresh beginning. And then there's always this, you know, arc of struggle. And then at the end, you're, you know, you're the hero. And, and that's like every major movie ever, right? Like, Mm-hmm. You, you look at all the Disney movies, that's what happens. You look at all the, you know, uh, Marvel movies, that's what happens, right? But I think we forget that we're not at that end point for most of us. Most of us are right smack dab in the middle all the time. Yeah. And there's not a way to get past that point without going through it. So I, I love your, you know, your thought that like, this didn't, this didn't destroy me. I became a better human because of it. Yeah, Absolutely. So, so I want to kind of 
So I don't know if this, if you've had a different experience than you think that men have had as, you know, as someone who's a woman who struggles with pornography in the LDS faith, do you think your experience has been different than that of maybe an LDS man? Um, I wonder because I think, I mean, it probably depends on the bishop. Um, but I, it, it's awkward no matter what. I mean, it's even awkward at the beginning for me to open up to you, you know, as a, a woman. That was, that was fun. That was like, hi, <laughs> I'm um, a dude. Let's talk about your porn struggle. Exactly. And, and I mean, in, in addition, like I don't have a great relationship with my dad. So it's, I'm still even more trepidatious around, you know, men in general. And even though I work in the military and I'm constantly surrounded by guys, you know, right. so I, I feel like I have this unique inter like relationship with men, you know, which is funny, but um, I, I don't know if it's very different. I think it's obviously, you know, obviously very awkward to sit in front of a bishop face to face and say, hey, I'm struggling with pornography. But I would say too, is that the very first time you talk to the bishop is very scary. And it's, you're scared of what they're going to say. And you're scared, like what's going to happen and stuff. But I feel like, you know, over the years, as I've continued to go to the bishop, I have um, really, I, I'm not scared anymore, you know, and I don't feel like it's a weird thing. And I, because I look at their role so differently. And so because I understand, so actually something that's very helpful and that I would encourage anybody to do who isn't sure about going to talk to the bishop is going to read the church handbook, chapter 32, about repentance and what the role of a bishop is. Because as a woman, like the more information you have, you know, the more, um, the more armed you are, I guess, the more courage you have. And so you know exactly what line a bishop should and shouldn't cross when they're asking you questions. And so it's not that you're, you know, telling them how to do their job, but you know what a, you know, a, a good, healthy interaction should be like. Um, and now, thought. like, and, and now, like, you can ask, you know, the Relief Society president to come sit in there with you. You can call me, I'll come sit in there with you, you know, like. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I feel this is like. my friend Andy. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, like, that. He that just travels <laughs> the country sitting in on bishops' <laughs> interviews. <laughs> you know, uh, giving women the that, um, like, support, I think, is so important. And I, I'm not sure what it's like for a guy, but I know for me, it is a little bit uncomfortable. But now, so even recently, so. Like I said, the last three years, I've had wonderful interactions with bishops. They've been so helpful and just so compassionate. And then I just moved to a new ward. And recently, um, I had an interaction. Like, first time meeting the bishop. I haven't, you know, looked at pornography in a while. And I feel like I'm really making progress and building this process for myself. And um, so I just went and met with him and, and just to kind of put it out there and say, hey, just so you know, you know, like I've struggled with pornography in the past. I'd love to help anyone, you know, if who needs to talk about it with someone. Also, I just it would help be helpful for me to check in with you every once in a while. And for the first time in my entire church experience, I had an experience with a bishop that wasn't the most positive, you know, and but sitting across from him and with all the life coaching stuff that I've done, I was able to say, understand that part of the reason some of the comments he was making was either because he's, he doesn't have a lot of experience with pornography himself, like yay for him. And <laughs> or for number him. two, like he's, he's scared and he, or he's uncomfortable, you know? And so right. I would say, I was able to sh like be compassionate and be like, okay, like he, and I know he cares about me, you know, but he just made a couple comments and I was just like, oh that actually kind of made me uncomfortable, you know? So I actually set up a second meeting with him and was able to go in there and say, Hey, like when you said that it kind of made me uncomfortable. And I, I was just straight up with him and just like any relationship, you know? And he's like, thank you so much for telling me. I, and I, I sent him like your podcast now. I send him all this stuff. I was like, Hey, sorry to spam you again, but here's something else that you should probably listen to or read, you know, like, no, no, I'm not, you know, like I said, I'm not trying to tell him how to do his job, but he, I just think the more informed, more people are, the more we can help each other because so many people are um, going through this and like, we just hide it because we're scared and it just keeps us in the like shame spiral, you know? Yeah. And I think it's, I, I think you've made a really, really good point, um, especially about bishops. Bishops are great people. Oftentimes they're wonderful men who we respect, who are part of the community, who've been, you know, kind of that pillar in a lot of ways for, for the for the ward that they're in, but they're also just, sometimes they're just dudes. Mm -hmm. Right. And they, and they don't have any idea. Like for instance, we did a, a fireside up in Cedar city at a, um, at a ward there. We were invited by the Bishop there and he, um, we talked about his, you know, his understanding of pornography and that sort of thing. And he basically, he had no idea what to do. He was an engineer. Like, 
We're like, what do you do? He's like, I'm an engineer. So he has no like background in pornography, in the struggle that, you know, people have and how to actually resolve the issue. All he has is the authority to hear Mm -hmm. as a bishop, you know, as a, as a, um, you know, common judge in Israel, your job is to hear the confession and, and judge in, in some capacity, but really most of what goes on for a bishop in that moment is I'm here to hear your confession so that you can put yourself right with the Lord through the repentance process. Beyond mm-hmm. that, they're like, I don't know what to do. And, you know, it's always interesting because you said, oh, it's kind of scary because, yeah, of course, it's a little weird to go up to a grown man that you barely know and be like, I touch my genitals. Yes. And I look at pictures of people having sex. Right. Yep. And that's that is a weird idea in and of itself. But it is an important thing to do. And I'm like, I'm so glad you had good bishops because I had, you know, my experience was good bishops and ba- and less good bishops. I didn't ever have a bad bishop, but I had oh. bishops who had no idea. And I had bishops who were like, I'm just here to love you. And mm-hmm. that's what my job is. And I'll do my best to do that. If you'll just c- keep going on this path. I don't know how to, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know which turns to tell you to make. Right. Totally. Um, so when you, uh, when you struggled with pornography and you went into this bishop, and I don't know if this is the bishop that you're talking about, the, the most recent bishop, where mm-hmm. your bishop said, do you have this under control? Yeah. Right? So how could you tell us how you responded to that and how you would respond to that? Well, it was interesting because so I said there was two meetings. So the first meeting, he was like, he was like, so do you have it under control? And I was like, wah, wah, no. <laughs> because I, and I had my, in my head, I'm like, okay, well, I haven't looked at pornography in a while, but do I have it under control? And I was like, and I started to just right away feel poorly about myself. You know, I fell right in back into those thoughts. And I was like, okay, wait a second. I like left the bishop's office. I'm like, I got to get some fries. And I was like, no, no, don't turn it. <laughs> I got to like, get some fries. Like, you know, and, fries you know, sauce, <laughs> all the delicious stuff. I was like, I mean, I was like, I'm just feeling so poorly about myself. And insecurity for me is one of my big triggers for looking at pornography. And so I was even like, starting to go down that thought path. And I was like, no, 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 no. What is happening here? What's, you know, I was able to walk myself back through it and use some of the skills that you've taught me and really put them into play, you know? So I realized when he asked me that question, I, I would, I would encourage people not to ask, do you have it under control? And that's, you know, something I brought up with him. I said, it's not necessarily something that I have under control. It's, I don't think it's something we can ever control because I think for me, having the temptation to look at pornography is going to be a part of my life for the rest of my life. And, but now I understand like what my values are and how I want to respond to it. And so I have like a process in place for responding to those temptations that I am going to have, you know, it's interesting. So my, my mom is an alcoholic and was sober for 12 years. And after 12 years, she relapsed and like that's 12 years is a long time, you know, you can go whatever amount of time and she's, you know, sober again now for two years. And, but she recovered quickly from that instead of going into this huge um, spiral because she knew what she had in place, what what steps to be have in place to, to recover from that. And so she was able to recover very quickly. And I think maybe you have gone 10 years, maybe you've gone 20 years and, but now look at the process you have in place. And I think, my opinion is that part of repentance includes forming these new processes and new ways of looking at things that help us kind of um, re- like re- re- turn ourselves back to God, you know? So it's not so much, you know, are you controlling whether or not you look at pornography? It's yeah. are you actually going through the process of managing your emotions, understanding why it is that you viewed pornography or why you might return to pornography and being aware of those processes that you can use to actually leave that scenario in, in a position where you're going towards your values instead of going away from them. Exactly. Um, So it's not, you know, are you, you know, are you controlling this? Like, Mm -hmm. like the way that we might control like a bull with a ring in its, in its nose, it's, am I being the person that I want to be with the skill set that I need? And I think that's probably where, and please don't, I hope nobody listening to this takes this wrong because the, I I love bishops and, and uh, you know, being a bishop is a really hard job, mm-hmm. but I think that's where bishops really lack is that they're not given a set of skills to teach. And, and, you know, there is the repentance process and there is the atonement and there is faith. And those are things that they have, but there are sometimes little skills that aren't necessarily within that broader, um, you know, envelope of the gospel 
that you got to get a hold of. And obviously we teach a lot of those on the podcast, but I think, I think what you're saying, and I think you're totally right is I have to get to a place where I know how to deal with what's going on inside of me, mm-hmm. not blocking or running away from something that, you know, I, I don't have any control over. Like we yeah. don't control porn. It just exists. And it's interesting because I, I've heard some people say, well, I don't, I'm scared to talk to the bishop because I don't know what he's going to say or how he's going to handle it compared to other bishops. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not up to you, really. Like he gets to choose how he acts. And so you get to choose how you act and how, how if your relationship is with God. And so if you are, you know, wanting to use the bishop as part of the repentance process and, you know, take those steps, then no matter who, the, I mean, if it's, you know, I would say no matter who the bishop is, you can still do that, you know, and how they act is then on them. And so exactly like you're saying, I think the step of talking to the bishop is essential. And it's interesting because like over the years that I've talked to bishops, I feel like there's been some times like this one time, this bishop was like, I just, I'm, I, he like just felt so bad for me, you know? And he, it's like, he didn't know what to do. And I realized like, it's not up to him to tell me what to do. And if you go read the handbook, they're not supposed to tell you what to do. They, they help you with your spirituality and that's it. You know, they're, they, and they like refer you to a counselor or something and it's up to us to know what to do, you know? So we, we know ourselves the best. And that's why I also love life coaching is because it helps us be so in tune with ourselves, you know? And like, it was, you know, if you're working on any kind of a goal, like an eating goal, working out, like anything, like you have to know yourself well in, in order to succeed. And I think, um, sometimes that's kind of a scary thing, you know, you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> who's that person? Oh. I think more, and it's a practice. It's all practice. And like, I love that you said, there's no end state. It's all a process. And it's just something like I said, you're going to keep working on for the rest of your life. And so if you look at it like that, instead of, I need to get to a point where I never look at pornography, I, I instead say to myself, I want to have a process in place for how I look at pornography. And for me, like part of the reason I struggled too, is because I realized I didn't just have one main reason that I looked at pornography. I had two, you know, so number one being that I, um, sometimes get lonely, which is actually resulting from feeling very insecure, you know? So if my friends are out hanging out or something and I'm feeling lonely, I'm like, Oh, I'm actually just feeling insecure, you know? And so when I'm feeling insecure, I know how to handle that. And then I have a different process for whenever I'm feeling like natural, natural sexual urges, you know? So any adult is going to have those. Yes. I don't think that justifies, breaking the commandments. And so for me, like I want to keep the commandments, keep my covenants. And so I have another process for how I handle when I'm having those natural sexual urges, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think I, it's really interesting what you're saying about expectations about, you know, this expectation. I, I think, um, especially when it's a, a man coming to a woman, we've actually, Darcy and I've kind of documented a little bit how if a wife comes to their husband, they say, I look at porn. Husbands are almost invariably super, super, um, I, I don't want to say forgiving, but they're understanding, right? They, they totally get it in a, in a really, I think, visceral way. Um, whereas on the flip side of that, sometimes the wives are totally understanding. But more often, uh, if someone's going to have a bad reaction, it's the wife and she'll have this expectation. She'll throw out an expectation. Never do this ever again. Uh, if you do this ever again, we're going to get divorced. And it's interesting that you talk about that uh, from a change of perspective and changing your expectations to a place where it's like, no, no, no my expectation isn't um, that I'm never going to look at pornography ever again. My mm-hmm. expectation is, and we talked about this uh, this month in the membership with the masterclass, my expectation is that when pornography or erotic material comes up in my life, I have a process to manage it mm-hmm. rather than you know, freaking out and running away and, you know, <laughs> running around with like a chicken with your head cut off, right? <laughs> yeah. Because uh, you're afraid of it, which I think is awesome. Now you mentioned food a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Has this process helped you manage the way that you deal with food? Yes. And it's interesting because I, I mean, we've been eating our whole lives, right? Hopefully. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like that one. And, and so I grew up in like a very abusive household and like, I, didn't realize that I was turning to these to food or to pornography for like comfort or for dealing with my emotions until the last couple of years. And so I like, I'm 29 years old, you know? And so for me to make these changes, I'm like, I think 
now that I have built in these processes for pornography, which is funny that I handled that one first, that I'm now like, you know, applying them to eating and, you know, creating healthy habits for myself there. And it's very similar. Cause I, I like wrote out all my thoughts and I'm like, I can use these same principles and same skills and apply them to any area of my life that I want. But at the same time, realizing it takes time, you know, I, I need to be kind to myself. I want to be kind to myself because ultimately I'd rather feel like the reason I'm wanting to change is so I feel better. But along the way, if I, if I'm like unhappy along the way, then that's not worth it to me either, you know? And so I, as I'm compassionate to myself and understanding, like I'm building processes and, you know, finding ways to change that, that that's what makes me happy and, and turning me to the savior. I feel like every experience, kind of like you said, like your experiences have made us into better people and are like, it's really interesting. So in the Bible in like John eight in nine, I think there's a story of the woman taken in adultery, which we're all very familiar with. My and story. it's so good. What's it amazing is. though, is that in that story, like, first of all, the people who are throwing the stones are condemning her. They're saying you have no more worth, you know, like you dying is better, is better for you than anything. So, and for so long, it was me throwing those stones. It's only ever been me throwing those stones at myself, you know? And the savior says to her, you still have worth. You're not condemned. And this is what the, the leadership of the church is saying. This is the standard. You're not condemned. You still have worth. Go and sin no more, you know, go and apply the atonement, go and change. But what's amazing is in the next chapter, the very next story is the story of the man who's blind. And the people are telling him, you're blind because your parents are sinners. And the Savior says, no, you're blind because I'm going to use you to show forth my glory and my power in you. And so my, my opinion is that the purpose of sin and struggle is twofold. Number one, for us, for us to understand our worth, our relationship with the Savior, for our you know, progression there. And then number two, the next part of it is always sharing with others you know, and showing forth God's glory and power in others. And so anytime that I talk about pornography, I get to talk about the savior and how there was, there was a point actually where I was like driving in my car and I was just like, so sick of it. And I was just like, God, please take this from me. I don't want it anymore. I, I hate the sin. I hate myself for it. Please. I'm sick. Of, I can't let it go. And I, I don't want it. And the thought I immediately had was there is no other way. There's no other way. And I was like, that is so true. There's no other way for me, Andrea Marks, to turn my heart to God than this experience right here, right now. And there's no other way for me to change like my eternal trajectory than for this experience right now. And so once I started to really believe that I am exactly where I need to be, sin, struggle, like success, everything alike, then I started to be like, okay, then I can, I can use it for my good. I can use this to turn to God. And I think, you know, there's a lot of complexities in this, but at the end of the day, if you use it to turn to the savior, then that's a success. Even if you struggle with it for the rest of your life, you're, you're still using it for the ultimate purpose, which is to turn to the savior and to, and to give glory to God. And I think, I think that's interesting. I think that's a really good perspective because it's not that God wants you to have this struggle. It's that having this struggle helps you want God. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was exactly the same experience. So uh, as you, as you think about how things have changed for you from a, from a perspective of the atonement, what, how has your perspective on the atonement changed versus where you were maybe three years ago? Um, I think I not only have more compassion for like, myself but I also have more compassion for others and I also think that you know our our savior already paid the price and so instead of instead of us like wanting to pay the price for ourselves right now then we can it sounds so like cliche and like I don't think you really how do I say this like it means something different to you than someone who maybe has never struggled with any kind of like big sin you know and I think whenever you think about the atonement, you're able to really internalize it and understand the magnitude of it, which I think is the point, you know? And I think like whenever you, whenever you like turn to the savior, um, we think that it means a certain thing or a certain way to do it. And there's not one way to do it, you know, but even whenever you're struggling with pornography, you can still feel the spirit. Yes. The spirit's diminished. And yes, there are consequences. There are spiritual consequences, 
but you can still turn to the savior. And I, I honestly promise anybody that anytime, if you are ever making any kind of effort to turn towards the savior, he will meet you exactly where you are. And it's interesting because like, I, I, like I said, I've struggled with this for three years and I, you know, come back from my mission thinking like, Oh, I'm at an all time spiritual high. Like I'm never listening to music with words again, you know? And then like three years later, I'm like, and pornography. Great. Nice. You know? So, um, you know, it, it happens and I don't think, I, I don't know. I think the atonement is just so real, you know, and the savior truly lives. And I think, you know, we just have the opportunity, the, the opportunity to change is there. And I would just say there is hope. I, I think that's true. I think there is hope. I think that so few of us really understand the atonement unless we've gone through some, I, I you know, I don't know what to call it, maybe life-changing struggle, but a, a, definitely a, a, a struggle that alters our perception of who we are, right? If you have not gone through a struggle that alters the perception of who you are, is I think it's really hard to understand the atonement. Mm-hmm. You know, I think academically we you know we understand that the savior's paid for our sins but there comes i think a point where especially within you know my own personal experience there there was a point where i was like no no no, i i'm offloading this now that doesn't mean i'm going to go eat drink and be merry but i'm offloading this problem yeah someone who has paid for it well because if you are like holding on so tightly to wanting to control everything or control like what you're doing or if you're holding on so tightly to your self-hatred then you're not going to progress you know you're not going to be able to make any kind of change but once you put your worth is already established once you acknowledge that you know the savior's already paid the price that the price doesn't need to be paid anymore then you'd be like okay well what can i do about it now you know so i think it just kind of lets you actually do work i guess well i think it points you in the right direction right because if you're constantly looking backwards and you're constantly trying to run from the problem or fix the problem, you know, trying to fix something that's happened in the past, which unless you've got a time machine, which if you've got a time machine, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> I got lots of things I'd like to do with it. Right. But, mm-hmm. and you know, you can't fix what's happened. So you have to let that go uh, and let it, let the savior take care of it. And then you have to focus on where am I going? How am I mm-hmm. going to get where I want to be? Which I think is huge. I think that's a big difference. Absolutely. I think and truly understanding like what, how the Lord feels about you, you know? And I think, you know, I I heard someone say, and I've said to others, you know, that if you don't know how the Lord feels about you, then ask him. And I, I can tell anybody listening, like one of my favorite things about just being around people. And I feel like one of my spiritual gifts is being able to feel God's love for people. And it's kind of funny, you know, you hear like someone get up and bear their testimony and it's like, I just love you guys so much. And I, that's, I don't think it's, they know you individually and love all those things about you, but they feel God's love for you. And I saw this, this like Netflix movie recently, (laughs) someone said you like because, and you love despite. And so I think loving someone like, isn't, they don't, God doesn't love you because you're perfect. God loves you because you're imperfect, you know? And like, I think that's, I don't know. I think that's just a beautiful thing that we accept our, because if you were perfect, you wouldn't need the savior but you do. So use him, right. you know, it's interesting that you say that. So I was up in Alaska hanging out with some of my family and my aunt told me a story about her dad who was kind of a cantankerous old farmer. And he hugged her in close one day as she was leaving. And he said, I love you in spite of your ways. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> but, and she's, she's a wonderful woman. There's like, she's a saint in my mind. But like this idea that the Lord loves us and he doesn't care about our ways so much as it is that he cares about us, mm-hmm. right? And that's what he focuses in on, not like whether or not we've checked a box or fulfilled a particular duty or not looked at a particular thing. I think it's that right. he loves us and everything else is kind of this process where we get to go and refine ourselves through mm-hmm. the grace that he's given us, through that like that gap that he's made which is i think the atonement right that you know um he's he's created a space where we can make mistakes and and we don't have to freak out about it we can let the atonement take care of it and progress through it absolutely i I think you know like no matter where you are in your in your progress or 
if you still aren't ready to make progress, like Heavenly Father still loves you. You know, he's still, the Savior still is telling people to stop throwing stones at you. He's still, he's still telling you to stop throwing stones at you. He's still telling you that you have worth, you know, and part of this life includes struggle and pain and being uncomfortable. And luckily this life is not the end. You know, this life is not the end all be all of these imperfections of death, of grief, of, of anything, you know, there's a greater purpose. And if we use this life to prepare to meet God, like even, even the guy who was given one talent, he made it two. That's all you gotta do. You know, you just, you work on that one talent and that's it. You know, and I think I keep saying it and it's my big mantra right now, but like, you're exactly where you need to be. Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting, right? So I think, especially in that interaction where you have Jesus Christ with the woman taken in adultery and he, you know, he looks up to her and he says, uh, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she says, no, no man, Lord. And then he says, neither do I condemn thee. That is exactly what you're talking about right there, Mm -hmm. where he's saying, I'm not condemning you. I love you. I've paid for this. Now, all you have to do is move forward, go forward and sin no more. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And I don't think that's an admonition to never sin again. I think it, you know, it might be more of an admonition to, uh, sin less than you are right now. Yeah. Um, and, and follow through with the promise of the atonement. Well, too, I think too, kind of like you teach. So you teach that, you know, you have to move towards something. And so you can't just be like, oh, I don't want pornography, you know? And so I think that's, it's helpful when you help us like establish our values and starting with that, you know? And so I think repentance is more than changing our behavior. I don't think pornography to me is an action. Yes. But I think there's also something, always something before like a thought or an emotion that's leading us to look at pornography. And so it's, I think whenever we're repenting and whenever we're moving away from pornography, we have to, we're tur- we are turning away from sin and we're turning towards heavenly father and Jesus Christ. And um, yeah, you have to have like something that you're moving towards. Yeah. Otherwise you're just going to move to the next thing, the next, yes. whatever, whatever it yes. is. So I think a lot more women struggle with pornography than we probably have a radar on especially just the you know normal people mm-hmm. there's some you know s- statistical evidence out there that shows that women view pornography pretty regularly uh, and i would i would imagine that this is much more prevalent within the gospel than than any of us probably know within membership of the church anyway what advice would you offer a fellow sister who's struggling with a pornography habit i, would I mean say- aside from coming to hang out with me yeah, aside from talking to Zach, I would say, you know, just like if your your eyesight is not good, you need to wear glasses, then that helps. Glasses help you. You don't need to wear them, but glasses will help. I would say whenever you're struggling with anything, but especially pornography, you don't have to do it alone. You can find a set of glasses that works for your eyes that's going to help you see better. You can find things that will help you to progress, you know. I think I think too, it is so scary. So I just want to really acknowledge and validate that. Like, it's scary to tell your friends. It is scary to tell your family. It's scary to tell anybody, you know, you think they're going to judge you. They might bring it up. They might say things that are uncomfortable or inappropriate, you know? And, um, but the number one thing I advice I would give is that you have worth, you know? And I think once you can really understand that and it may, maybe you'll never tell anybody, maybe you'll just, you know, talk to the Bishop and, and Zach, <laughs> maybe <laughs> or so, maybe you know, and that takes time too you know and i think you, you have to be it's okay if you want to struggle for or like work on it for how long it needs to take you know i think that's totally okay so i think uh one of the and i think you're you're absolutely right like take take the time get into it and and work with somebody that that you can that can work with you um sometimes we tell people and it doesn't work out yeah. And you told me uh, a story in one of our sessions once about how you told uh, a friend of yours. Do you remember yes. this? Yeah. Do you want to tell that story? Yeah. So I, I think actually it was my friend who had discussed, like, and I had already opened up to this friend about pornography. One of the very first friends I opened up to. <clears throat> and she told me that she discovered that her son, who was like 15, was masturbating. And she just felt heartbroken and devastated. And I was like, oh, I suck. You know, of course, like my thoughts are automatically always, I suck. And so um, 
I was like, how she, how she, how must she view me if that's how she's viewing her son? And she's so heartbroken about it. And I think that's very fair for her to feel heartbroken. I think I'm not trying to take away from her feelings, but no matter, like kind of even like the bishop, no matter the actions, thoughts, words of others, um, one of the, the best skills that I've learned from you, from life coaching is to understand my worth that no matter what happens, even when I'm like dealing with my family who's saying things to me or sitting across from a bishop who might say something that's insensitive on accident or however, you know, without, without intention to hurt that my worth that, that I, I don't have to feel poorly about myself, you know, and I don't have to like go turn to pornography or food or anything. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's challenging because people are going to say stuff. I think you're exactly right. We are going to have temptations with pornography. We are going to have things that come up in our lives that, that trigger those feelings and stuff and for us. So I think the best, the best thing, I don't know, maybe the, my best advice is to talk to a life coach <laughs> because like I, the skills that I've learned have truly changed my life. And I am just like, this, maybe this sounds weird, but I love who I am right now. You know, I'm so proud of myself. I feel like I've done something really hard. I love the processes that I'm building right now. I'm just like, I, I'm so happy, you know, and I, like other people are unhappy because they're single or because like, you know, the family's imperfect, but I, I love my imperfect family. I love my struggles. I love like my situation in life. I'm just very happy to be exactly where I am. That's beautiful. And I, I think that it's a testament to um, how important this change was for you mm-hmm. to be willing to, you know, have those conversations with people and not make maybe a, a reaction that wouldn't be the kindest be a problem and to keep moving forward and saying, even if this person doesn't understand what's going on, I still want to change. I still want to be better. I still want to be a better person. You know, one of the reasons why Darcy started to tell people about my struggle was um, that she didn't want to be in conversations like the one that that woman was having with you where she's like, let me tell you about my 15 year old son and how terrible it makes me feel that he's doing this thing Mm -hmm. and feel like a fraud, you know, and just, she wanted to be open. And, um, what I think that, you know, those two experiences together tell me is that when we make someone else's behavior, a problem for us, we really need to step backward and look at, okay, wait a minute. Am I being unkind about this? And am I treating this as it's as though it's my problem or am I treating this as something that I need to go in and I need to show greater love and I need to show forth the, you know, the kindness that I I would want shown to me. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's a good illustrator of how we could do a better job, you know, as, as people who maybe don't struggle with this, but struggle with something else can be kind to anybody who struggles in the same way that the savior was kind to us. Mm -hmm. So if, if I could ask you to give us one nugget, one thing that you would do differently or that you would change or that you, like, what would you tell somebody who maybe is listening to this podcast and maybe it's their first time listening to this podcast? What would you tell somebody uh, that, that you think would push them in the right direction? Um, I would say, think about I, I, this life is not the end, right? So I think like when you're standing, I, I like to think about like super big picture, like super zoom out. Like I think part of the reason that we struggle is because we get so fixated on specific moments and instances and, and stuff like that. So if you super, super, super zoom out and you're looking at the plan of salvation, we believe that one day we will stand in front of a loving heavenly father next to our savior and redeemer. And our relationship with the savior will be a a huge piece of him advocating for us to the father. And I want to be able to like, hopefully look him in the face and just say, I tried my best and I didn't give up and, and I didn't do it perfectly, but I love you so much. And I, I didn't give up, you know? And so I would say to anybody, like, don't give up, you know, there really is hope. And like, you are so loved. You might not love yourself right now, but you can get there. And um, it's like, I'm telling you, I, I can't tell you how much I hated myself, you know? And it makes me so sad to think of how mean I was to myself, you know? And it's interesting because um, 
with this counselor one time and she had me do this exercise where I, I went back to like, she had me think about a memory, you know, whenever I was a kid and went through some hard stuff. And she's like, okay, now I want you, your version of yourself now to walk in the door. And she's like, what do you do? And I just like, I go to that little girl and I give her a hug and I just tell her you are so loved. And I think, I think we as a people like just need love, you know, like we, we can't change if we don't love ourselves. We can't show up with compassion for our bishop, for our family who says any kind of comments or friends if we don't love them, you know? And I think the more we love ourselves, that's how God feels about us. He really does. God really loves you, you know? And um, I think if you can learn to believe that then and really internalize it, then that's success. That will lead you to anything you want in life. I love it. I, I, I just want to do big hugs right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that that's, I think that that is the right message. There is hope. Don't give up. Mm-hmm. Keep going. You've got this. All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on this podcast. I, I appreciate the words that you've shared. I, I appreciate your perspective. I appreciate that what you have, <clears throat> have done is not impossible, but it is totally possible with the right tools and the right skills and the right mindset. And, you know, the, the hope that I think that this gives to so many people is, I think, invaluable. So thank you so much for doing that. And for those of you listening, if you have any, you know, thoughts or questions or needs or wants, feel free to reach out. Um, just let me know and I will gladly do my best to help you figure it out. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Thrive Beyond Pornography. If you're seeking guidance and support to overcome pornography for good and begin creating a thriving life beyond it, check out my free webinar, How to Overcome Pornography with Skills That Actually Work. You'll learn practical, proven skills guided by an expert coach who has personally overcome pornography. Whether you're getting started for just yourself or along with your spouse, Darcy and I can teach you the tools that will help you put your life on the right path for you. Be sure to check out the show notes for a direct link and... If you could take a moment to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, it would mean the world to us. Your reviews play a significant role in helping others discover the show so they can join us on this transformative journey. Thank you for being part of the Thrive Beyond Pornography community. Until our next episode, stay strong, stay focused, and keep thriving.